All good things must come to an end, right? Sometimes when we think about leaving or going away, we think of it as a bad thing. But in the case of business or selling a business, leaving can mean a lot more than just, well, leaving. In the world of selling businesses, leaving can mean leaving a company and heading straight for the bank. Leaving can mean you finally did what you set out to do, have a business that's successful enough to gain wealth. It's a good thing. In fact, it's a great thing. But this great thing can easily turn sour if done incorrectly. There is a good way to leave a business. You need an exit strategy. I'm your host, Randall Sylvie, and this is the Deal Closers Podcast. On today's episode, we're talking about, you guessed it, exit strategy. Jason and Ron from WebsiteClosers.com tell me that exit strategies are something some owners think about at the start of their business ownership. But before we get into that, I had to ask, what exactly is an exit strategy? You know, it's different for every different person, every different seller. Sometimes the exit strategy is more personal in nature, uh, where they're looking at, you know, their family and where they need to be, you know, in the future. Sometimes that exit strategy might be partnering with another group to help them grow. Another exit strategy could be to go public and take the business uh, out into the public markets. So exit strategies look different for everyone. And, you know, that's kind of our process. And part of what we do is, you know, when somebody comes to us, we start talking to them early on about kind of their mandate, quote unquote, you know, what it is that they need to be happy. And, you know, sometimes they don't even know, you know, sometimes they come to you and they don't have a clue other than the fact that they know they want to sell or they need help. If it's on the sell side, you know, that, that's a little bit of an easier one. And then you got to figure out, okay, so if you're selling, are you going to continue to be involved in this company after closing? Because, you know, for tech companies, that's pretty important. That's one of the differentiating factors between, you know, selling a, a brick and mortar business like a restaurant or something like that versus selling a tech company. I, I would say a tech company is more akin to selling like a law firm or an accounting firm where, you know, you tend to have one or two, maybe three people that are the brains of the operation that built the company and that still continue to be, you know, not only the founder, but, you know, the founding principle maker throughout the process. And you have to be able to take that knowledge and, and move it into a whole other buyer. So what does the exit strategy for that look like? And the larger the deal gets, the more the buyers are going to want that seller to stay on board. And so if the exit strategy includes, you know, a person wanting to buy a yacht and go on their merry way, you know, that may have to wait until after you've gone through a transition and you've been involved with the company for some time. Generally, what we coach our clients is be prepared to spend a year with the buyer. Beyond that, you know, it's, there's no such thing as indentured servitude, and so you're not required to stay with anybody. But, you know, for the year, you're usually going to be incentivized anyway to be highly involved during that one-year process. And the ways that they incentivize a seller are things like, you know, they'll ask you to roll some equity. In other words, keep a piece of the company and then exit on that second piece down the road. Sometimes that exit can be, you know, a set time. Or other times it can be whenever, you know, the buyer decides they want to exit the company three, four, five, six years down the road, everyone will share in the exit at that point. That's sort of one kind of exit strategy is thinking about what, what is my involvement going to be? Thinking about the role you play in a deal helps come up with an exit plan. However, even though thinking about your role and the part you play is essential, there are other players to consider. Something to keep in mind, whether you're the buyer or the seller, 
is that some companies have more than one owner. More owners means more players and more people needed to get on the same page about what the exit plan will be. We have a company right now that's come to us that has about 4.5 million in EBITDA. Beautiful company, very high growth. It's in a great sector in lead gen. It's one of those situations where these there's three owners and they're all like, look, we're not, we don't want to stay with the company at all. You know, we'll help with the transition and we'll be involved for that process, but that's it. You know, we want out. We've been doing this for a long time. We don't want, you know, any involvement, so we want out. So the rolled equity piece that we're talking about here isn't available to them. And so that risk mitigation for a buyer isn't there. There's other ways a buyer can mitigate risk that includes promissory notes and earnouts, and you know you can bring someone on as an employee or a consultant. You know all those things help. But the one great way to incentivize someone is to say, "Look, take chips off the table. Keep thirty percent of the company. Nothing we do going forward after closing is going to impact you at all from a capital standpoint. We're going to invest all the capital. We're going to invest in human capital. We're going to bring new capital in. We're going to bring you know, knowledge and minds and networking in and do all these things. And it'll cost you nothing. And you'll still continue to have that non-diluted 30% of the company. And so that can be pretty incentivizing for guys, especially if they're really excited about who that buyer looks like. But that's something you, know, you have to kind of figure out. And it's great to talk to you know, guys like us that have closed thousands of these in the past. Come talk to us and get a feel for all the different things some sellers do so that you can get an idea of what's going to work the best for you. And then that's sort of the starting point for everything. That's what starts the exit strategy is what is going to be a good place for the seller to be in after this is all said and done. And again, the vast majority of guys have no idea what to expect. And so they're looking to us to kind of walk them down that road. And then we work together on what that strategy looks like. While they're thinking about what kind of exit strategy to take, sellers that is, what are some things they should probably keep in mind? If you're a larger company, and by larger, I mean, you know, you've got earnings of at least a million dollars, you're probably going to be you know, outside of the SBA world. The reason why we kind of discern a difference there is because in the SBA world, you're not allowed to roll equity. You have to sell 100% of your company. The SBA rules mandate that. So any deal less than $5 million, you cannot own a piece of the company if it's being underwritten through the SBA process. If it's over that, then you, know, you have to decide you know, what I want. And the, thing, the reason why that's important is because if you're going to continue with the company and you're going to help them mitigate risk by rolling equity and staying involved, then you're likely going to have a, a higher multiple in your business. So one of the things to think about is, you know, where do I want to be when I sell this company? And a lot of that has to do with your involvement after closing. You know, if you just want to walk away, you know, that multiple is lower. If you're going to stay involved and you see the opportunity for this brand and you're going to continue to grow it, then you're going to achieve a higher multiple and more people are going to be interested. You know, so if you're over 2 million of EBITDA or 3 million of EBITDA, you know, you've got institutional investors looking at you. You know, these are not guys that do what you do as an owner. They're interested in your sector. They're interested in, you know, making money off of what it is you do, but they don't know how to do it. And for tech and internet companies, a lot of times nobody knows how to do it or very few people. And those that do know how to do it already own their own companies. It's not like you're going to go out and search for somebody with a resume that can do the kinds of things that this owner does. And even if you find that, you know, those people would want four or $500,000 a year minimum plus bonuses, you know, just to even consider the opportunity because they would otherwise make that owning their own company. So that's sort of the push and pull you have between buyer and seller as it relates to exit and that process, what it looks like after closing. 
all of our clients that have over a million of earnings, we just coach all of them. There's a very high likelihood that someone coming in is going to want you on board. And we kind of walk through with them what it looks like, you know, comparing the two deals. You know, let's compare a deal where you walk away 30 days after closing and let's compare a deal where you stay involved for at least a year working alongside, you know, this buyer and what that looks like. And it's always a better deal. But again, you know, when you're planning your exit, you have to decide for you personally what you want. So it's not all just about the business decision or the economics of it. It's also you personally. I mean, you could have an illness. You know, we've had people come to us with grave illness. We've had people come to us who's, you know, they're an, an executor of the estate and they're actually selling the company for, you know, their father or whomever owned the company. And they certainly don't have, you know, any need to stay with the company after closing. So there's all kinds of situations for everyone and, you know, we just have to figure out what makes the most sense. But again, if you've got at least a million dollars in EBITDA, the one thing I can tell you for sure in, the, in our world, in the tech and internet world, buyers are going to be looking, you know, for you to stay on board for a while. And just to mention that for a second, I think we talked about this on another podcast and what the expectations are there. But a lot of entrepreneurs, when they get to this process and they start thinking about exit, they are weary of agreeing to stay involved after closing. You know, they're, they're concerned that by doing so, they now have a boss. You know, they, ha- they have somebody that's going to be looking over their shoulder, constant reporting. You know, they're thinking of things like it is in the office. And that's not it at all. What really happens is that everyone sort of sits down together on a whiteboard and starts wor- you know, working out what are the next 90 days going to look like? What's the next year going to look like? And starting to put together some bullet points and action items for people to start to develop this company beyond what it is today. And then, you know, if an owner is going to stay involved, usually they just take it and run with it. They've now taken chips off the table. They still own a piece of the company and they're out doing everything they were doing before, except for the things they don't like doing. And that's the thing that the buyer brings to the table is, Let's find out what operational roles and tasks you just don't like. Let's put somebody in that, that role. Let's also bring in a controller you know, to kind of help out with the financial side of the business so that we can maintain, you know, we need to worry about receivables and where they are, payables, make sure everyone's getting paid on time, and bring all the sort of structure to the business that you probably don't have when an entrepreneur is running it because that's not how their mind works. An entrepreneur just thinks about growth. They think about you know making as much money off it as possible and growing it as fast as possible. Whereas a buyer is thinking about yes, yes, growing it, but part of that growth means strong infrastructure, means putting the the, the pieces of the puzzle together before you you know continue to grow it. And so that usually includes a controller, sometimes a sales team, sometimes a marketing team, depending on the business. Sometimes you need a developer on staff, whereas you know maybe the entrepreneur just used you know, Upwork's teams of developers, you know, to do a lot of the tasks that they had. But, you know, this would allow sort of this infrastructure. It's more expensive for sure, but it's definitely a, a um, an investment in that human capital. And so by doing so, that helps alleviate a lot of the, the, the soreness that comes along with being a business owner. You're wearing a lot of hats until somebody comes in and partners with you and takes some of those hats from you. And a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize that. They think that they're going to have a boss, and that just isn't the case. It's going to be a better situation, and you just have to kind of work through it during you know, due diligence and during the discussions of what is it going to be like after closing? What are the expectations for me? And let's make sure we all agree on that before we sign on the bottom line. Jason is speaking from years of experience. The way he and Ron view deals and exit strategies differ from the average entrepreneur. 
they have brokers insight. If we talk about building an exit strategy from the eyes of the broker, in other words, when somebody comes to us as a broker, what do we see? We see people who are mildly to wildly enthusiastic. Everybody who starts a company in their mind someday visions themselves selling, you know, getting to the point where they built something that has value and they cash out, they create wealth. And so when they come to us, our job as a broker, first of all, is to see who they are and what they're doing. The companies we represent at website closers are pretty much the cream of the crop. And so our job is to first package them and get them ready. So we have to look at their financials. We have to determine whether their tax returns are easily decipherable and whether during due diligence, this company is going to pass muster. And so we basically work with them to get them ready. Now, obviously, our company is in business to sell businesses. So when we see somebody, you know, certainly sooner than later, we'd like to see them come to market. But we don't always encourage that. Sometimes we see companies that they're just not ready. We know they've got a lot left in the tank. And so, you know, we want to kind of be patient with them. We look at the long-term strategy. We don't need to make the commission today or this week or this year. Our goal is to maximize that commission because the bigger the company gets, the more money we're going to make. So we kind of partner up with these businesses to help them maximize. Now, if you kind of look at each individual seller, I mean, I think everybody at some point rises to their level of incompetence. And some may rise to that level when their sales hit a million dollars and some maybe a hundred million. And so, you know, we don't know necessarily as brokers where they're going to come to that particular point. In some cases, when we see companies, you know, we look at it right away and we say, there would be a lot of demand for this company. We'd love to see them go live today. And so, you know, a lot of times that's our first inclination. And, you know, keep in mind that at some point, companies do level off. So when we get somebody to come to market on their way up, obviously their return is going to be at its peak. I like what you said there about some of the groups we work with. Ron and I have an affiliation with a lot of mastermind groups, specifically in the Amazon world. We do a lot of deals in that space. And with those groups, you know, a lot of times they're just asking us to come in and just sort of collaborate with everyone about, you know, what it looks like from a process standpoint, not just how do I sell my company, but how do I get to a point where I'm thinking about what it's going to look like to sell my company. And, and that those are two completely different things. You know, you personally, when you sell your company, what are you going to do afterwards? You're going to have to sign a non-compete. You've just, you know, for most entrepreneurs, they're focused on one particular business category and one particular brand. You've just spent a bunch of time, you know, maybe a decade working on that business. What's next? And you probably can't do what's going on there because you have a non-compete. So you're going to have to go do something else. So, you know, that's part of this process. And, you know, if you don't have that answer, then it might be a situation where you need to stick around with this new owner. It could be a whole new world for you where, you know, you build this relationship with a group that has worked with, you know, maybe hundreds of brands and built them up and sold them over time. By having that relationship alone, that intangible could bring all kinds of opportunity to you as an owner or as an as a entrepreneur. And so that's part of this process, too, is thinking about that partner and what that longer-term you know, initiative looks like. But you, know, you have to be thinking about things outside of the economics of the deal. What are you going to be doing after the fact? And the nice thing is, 
you know, for a lot of companies that are high growth, and it doesn't matter what kind of digital company you are, if you're high growth, you're likely investing a lot of the money that's coming in back into the company. And so, you know, during that process of growth, you're not making anything. You know, you're certainly not making what, you know, what we're showing as earnings, uh, what we call that ghost profit. For most of these deals that we sell, the vast majority of the ghost profit isn't actually going to the pockets of the ownership. You know, on a discretionary basis, these guys are then taking that money and putting it back into the company. So the part of that exit strategy or exit thought process is, okay, this will allow me to stop doing that. And the second part of it is, okay, if you're doing those things, if you're investing all that money, now that goes onto the shoulders of the new buyer. And while you're not able to take any money out anyway, you did take chips off the table. And if there are going to be some, some payouts made to the shareholders you know, during the year, you now have the opportunity to potentially take some of those, depending on how the company is capitalized by the buyer. You know, so all those things have to go into, you know, into thought. And so when Ron and I work with these mastermind groups, you know, one of the things we're talking about on a, on a regular basis is this idea of building wealth. And it's very difficult to build wealth as a business owner, but it's very easy to build wealth as the seller of businesses, the serial seller of businesses. That's really where you're going to build all of the wealth, you know, as an individual, just building these companies up, selling them and then going and doing it again. You know, that can be an exit process for a lot of people where as they start the company, they are already thinking about, you know, the exit process and they start talking to us very early. So I think that's a really important point. This idea, this thought of building wealth through selling companies, shows why exit strategies are so important. Without a good exit plan, you might close a deal and wind up losing money or missing out on money you could have gotten. It's something worth thinking about early on in company ownership. One other thing we probably ought to just bring up as far as exit strategy, it's one of those things that we talk about pretty regularly on this podcast, and that is the financials of the company. If you've got an exit strategy in mind, part of that needs to be, what are my tax returns look like? Because anybody that runs a small business knows that you know you could run a small business and write off a lot of things on taxes, but when you do that, it could be hurting you for the sale of your business. And you know, as an example, if you you know if you're on a cash basis on your tax return and an accrual basis on your P and L, and obviously we sell these on an accrual basis because it shows more profit for high growth companies. You know, you have to consider what is the right time where you're actually going to start paying the taxes to show on the tax return what it is you're actually making. Because if it's a less than $5 million deal, it needs to go SBA because that's where all the money is. And in such a scenario, you know, they can only look at a tax return to determine your debt service analysis. They look at all your financial instruments for purposes of trending and just overall analysis of the company, but primarily the tax returns are what they're required to look at for that debt service analysis. So again, if you're running a company at zero taxable income because of investment and cost of goods, or you're otherwise just writing things off for IRS purposes that we can't show as an ad back with the bank, you know, you're not thinking about exit and you haven't come to the realization that, you know, it, it can't be that way. Now, when you come to us and if you've already done that, we can, you know, help you adjust your tax returns with your tax advisors. And then, you know, we will be back in a better position again to be able to sell the company through the SBA process. But, you know, for those less than $5 million deals, you really need to be thinking about that because Ron and I are business owners also. We understand the idea of not wanting to pay a whole lot of taxes and you get the opportunity legally to not pay a lot of taxes when you're in a high growth company. And the truth of the matter is that you're not paying that to yourself anyway, because it is going back into your company. So that's the way it should be. But 
Obviously, when your company grows to a certain level, you can't do that anymore. You have to be on an accrual basis. And I think that was raised to $25 million. Right, Ron? I think that's what we're at right now. I believe so. $25 million revenue. Yeah. So once you've achieved over that revenue level, I think you have to switch to accrual anyway. And the unfortunate part about that is that you're going to be paying taxes on the accrual cost of goods and not the cash cost of goods. And if you're still growing massively and you've got $25 million in revenue, that's going to hurt you because you're going to pay taxes on sales you haven't made. That's inventory just sitting in a warehouse somewhere that you've purchased that you haven't sold. And so... You know, all of that goes into play as it relates to the exit strategy too. Thinking about all of those things and what, where you are as a business and where you want to be on the day that you sell, that could be one year down the road, six months down the road, six years down the road. But it's always good to start thinking about it, start talking to someone who does this every day to help build your exit strategy. Definitely don't do that alone because you're going to be missing out on things that are important for the process. Jason mentioned something I think that's really important too. Sellers come to us. They'll oftentimes ask us, especially during the process of getting offers, how they should run their company. In other words, they'll say, okay, I've got all these new initiatives I'm working on, but every one of them are going to affect my bottom line in a negative way because this offer is based on EBITDA and a multiple thereof. How should I handle that? Should I keep investing in the company or Should I kind of, you know, ease back to keep my profit level up and therefore I can maximize my return on, you know, what I'm going to get from my company? And for us as brokers, the answer is actually a really easy one. Keep your foot down on the pedal. You have to pretend that this deal is not going to go through. Continue to reinvest. Continue to do what you would do if you were not selling your company. And even though that might be a little bit counterproductive in the big picture, In the end, not every deal does close. And the last thing you want to do is do anything either to hurt yourself going forward or quite frankly, to hurt the buyer going forward. So it's one of the things we deal with on a regular basis that it's very important that people understand you have to run your company with to the best of your ability. Jason had one more thing to add about exit strategies. This kind of goes to what I was talking about earlier with respect to thinking about whether or not you're going to go along with the company. One way you can prepare if you have enough time, if you're not looking to go along with the company is to hire leadership, you know, consider hiring a president or a CEO to take your place and run the company. Now that can be very, very difficult to do. You likely don't have that person internal in the staff right now. And if you're not big enough, that becomes financially burdensome. But the best thing in the world for a buyer to see when they come into a deal is that there's a CEO already in place, seasoned and doing well, proven, and they're buying this company with that person behind the helm. And I think that in and of itself is very strong. So if you've got over 2 million of EBITDA, there's no reason why you can't consider hiring someone like that. And we saw that in a company that we've been helping you know, for the last couple of years, and they're struggling to sell. And the reason why is because they run a mastermind. And it's just an example of this, this being a problem. You know, without them in the company, it's not the same company. It's kind of like a small accounting firm. Usually all of the accounting uh, leads and everything come in through that primary accountant. Well, with the mastermind group, really, there's in this one I'm talking about, there's two guys that run it. They do a really good job. But, you know, and, and a lot of people looked at the business to buy it, but, you know, they're going to go on their merry way after it's over. And it just doesn't look like the same business. So, so what they're doing is they're 
you know, bringing people on board and transitioning all of the activities of that they're doing over to p- other people so that when a buyer comes in the next time, these guys just look like investors in the background and you've got someone else that's active in the business and running it every day. And again, that's extremely attractive because now, you know, you as an investor in a company have somebody operationally that you know we're not going to drop the ball. And that's one of the biggest fears of buyers coming in is they feel like they're, you know, the ball's going to get dropped when it gets transitioned to them because they're not as, you know, knowledgeable and experienced as ownership is. Bringing in somebody to do that work is a very strong move. And even if you want to have, you know, someone who's maybe a director of operations and you're still the president as the owner, that's still extremely helpful because that director of operations can be doing 90% of operations where you're focused more on bigger picture items, R&D, maybe the marketing piece of the business or whatever. But having sort of that kind of, you know, human capital involved so that the ball doesn't get dropped after closing, that also is a part of your exit strategy and something you should be thinking about. Thanks again to Jason and Ron for taking the time to talk to me. Feel free to send us any questions you have about mergers and acquisitions. We'd be happy to explore the answers. Till next time, this has been Deal Closers.